Welcome to the Tactical Breakdown, a podcast for law enforcement, military, and emergency response professionals, where we help you bridge the gap and talk training, tactics, and leadership with the best subject matter experts in the world. Checking in with you every week to deliver actionable intelligence and bring important resources and information to the men and women who serve. Here is your host, Adam Kanakin. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. This is your first time listening. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast player. For those returning guests, thank you so much again for your love, your support. I know it's been a couple weeks since we've gotten this episode out there. And I apologize for that. Had some family stuff going on, but we're back at it. And we're going to have a bunch of episodes coming out here right away. It's in the next week or so. Um, so you guys can get your binge on. So to start all that off, I wanted to put out this episode that I had a couple months ago with Terrence Kosaker. Terrence is one of those guys where you kind of just sit back and listen and his story takes you kind of, you get immersed in it. He's an amazing public speaker. He has a very interesting story that I'm sure some of you will be listening to to the beginning of this podcast and wondering where do you think this is going to go. We talk about some really important stuff, which is PTSD awareness and coping mechanisms. Terrence was a first responder, a fire paramedic out of Whistler, BC, and had a, a very traumatic incident happen at the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics. And he's going to talk all about his past, his history, where he thinks his PTSD stemmed from, and it's not just the one incident, and his battle, his story, what happened. And then we're going to talk about Camp My Way. And Camp My Way is a, it's a wilderness therapy program that supports first responders and armed forces veterans and their families who have been affected by post-traumatic stress. So this is a very important episode, I think, and it was one of my favorite interviews to have. And you won't hear a lot of me in it, but you'll hear a lot of Terrence. And his story is amazing. It's inspirational. And I'm excited to bring it to you. So I'm going to get Terrence on the line. I'm going to play this interview for you. And we're going to get at it. Share with me again, and I, I mean no disrespect by this, no, but absolutely. like, how did we meet? <laughs> well, it was. Actually, uh, I think, are you recording, right? Because this could be, yeah. you know, like let's just just rock it. Let's just keep banging it out. Yeah, man. So, well, I, initially, I saw some of your stuff uh, on LinkedIn. I think I saw some of your posts, and you know, I, I watched I watched some videos of you. I think that were posted up on YouTube. Just some of the the media coverage that you had gotten, and uh, and I just heard the way you were talking and, and saw what you were doing and i was like i gotta get this guy on man awesome so that's uh that's that's really cool to know i uh I, I try to do the same thing too i see a lot of people posting a lot of things i do this we should do this but it's it's just all in the mind they like to think they'd like to make those changes. i don't see anybody walking the walk and taking actions to the words that they're posting and i find that's the easy thing to do on this uh computer is get on and you know make all these claims but who's walking the walk and um, i'm glad that you uh did a little further investigating and see that uh we're not only walking the walk we're flipping tires up glaciers buddy <laughs> yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, i've seen that I'm, I'm sitting there i'm like oh god like i've i've a permanent back issue from uh from my time with the forces so i i look at that and i just i cringe i look at it, i'm like oh god i don't know 
So, yeah. so listen, Adam, next time I see you or whenever I see you and there's a tire there, we're flipping it, whether you like it or not. Well, that's fair, man. Like I, <laughs> like I told you last time I'm uh, I, on my bucket list now is to, to come out there and spend some time with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm an outdoors guy as it is. I think we yeah. had this talk last time uh, offline there and I love being out in the bush. And so we'll, uh, we'll set something up. We'll make something happen, but uh, get jumping into the podcast sure. and, and kind of the reason why, I wanted to have you on you and I don't, I don't mean to simplify this too much, but you do a lot of work and a lot of what you do is centered around PTSD um, and helping first responders, veterans and their families deal with PTSD and, and everything that comes with it. So can you maybe give a little bit of your background and, um, and then we'll see what happens. A little bit of my background. Okay, well, uh, I tell you, kind of like give you a uh, uh, an idea of where I come from and where post-traumatic stress uh, kind of entered my life. I would say started at five years old. My father actually came home one night and burnt the house down while myself, my mom, and my sister was sleeping. I don't remember the fire, but um, my nervous system sure did. Growing up, it was um, very challenging for me. I didn't understand my emotions. I didn't know how to deal with them. I thought I was a very different person than everybody else. I didn't seem to fit in. I got, I guess because of my insecurities, I got picked on and bullied in school, always smacked in the back of the head, laughed at because I was a skateboarder. And uh, by the time I hit almost 15 years old, you know, 10 years of... um, you know, just kind of, I don't want to say picked on, but just not feeling okay. I was tired of being bullied and I decided to become the bully. I got jumped into a street gang, 15 years old, within six months, racked up a pretty good, uh, an arm's length worth of charges and found myself on the run looking at a manslaughter charge. And at that point, Adam is when I actually living in a, an abandoned house and these these men had given me a, a, a can had a substance on there took that big all that energy that has been trapped in my nervous system since five years old and getting picked on and bullied and on the run from the law all that energy that was causing my depression my anxiety my suicidal thoughts my anger my sadness everything every minute every breath every tear when i exhaled it all went away i could breathe again do you do you you know see the word addiction coming up here you know what mm-hmm. i mean I ended up getting sentenced to uh, three years in juvenile detention. After I got out of uh, juvie, I took off down to Los Angeles, California, got jumped into another street gang down there. And uh, let me tell you something, LA gang banging is a whole lot different than being up here in Canada. I'll tell you that much for sure. You're talking about drive-by shootings, decapitations, all the shit that comes with it. And I guess what I'm giving you here is my experience with trauma. And what I did most of my life to manage it, which was crystal meth, uh, crack cocaine, heroin. And each day, living in the hood, living in the ghetto, living that way, dodging bullets, watching your bros getting shot up. Uh, it, it's, it's, it, was, it was quite challenging. But 
the only way I had to cope with my emotions from dealing with this lifestyle was drugs. Make a very long story short, over the course of the next 15 years, I stayed working in organized crime. Went from LA to New York City to Miami, Chicago, Louisville, Kentucky, just making some very bad decisions. Um, we'll just leave it at that. I know a little bit of your background. I mean, and I, I've obviously done some research on you and um, in, in our talk before, um, but I didn't have that much of a background on you. And I don't want to say that I love your story, but I do. And the fact is, is because there's probably people listening yeah. to this right now because the majority of our audience is law Absolutely. enforcement professionals, military members, first responders. And now they're sitting there thinking like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> what is this podcast going to be about? So, and and we're going to jump into it right now, but you, on how you basically flipped everything around and got into firefighting and changed your life. So, and then how things kind of, whatever happened after that. So let's jump into that. Why don't you share that story? Well, 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 thank you. I, uh, yeah, I don't put much of that out on the internet and all that kind of stuff for you to have learned because uh, of the of the judgment of the people say, oh, you know, that guy was a, a, a organized crime member. He's a gang member. He's affiliated. Well, you know what? I wasn't born that way. I was born a human just like everybody else. Uh, it was the society and my surroundings that uh, molded me into who I became because I didn't have the natural tools, the mindfulness, the meditation, the breathing, the exercise, the understanding of eating healthy to manage my emotions. Uh, growing up, you don't talk about my sadness, my pain. You don't do that. We don't. Nobody does that. So, of course, we're only led, thanks to the system and the establishment, led down the wrong paths to take care of ourselves, which what's there? Drugs. Let's jump into it. Like you said, back in 1999, I got pulled over in Atlanta, Georgia, for uh, I was running some dope up the East Coast, and um, I got sentenced to five years in a supermax federal prison down in Atlanta, Georgia. Did I mention I'm white? Right. So um, the, 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 the stress also that comes with entering a whole new world, the psychological torture of being caged in a cell like an animal for 23 and a half hours a day, listening to grown men lose their minds. And not only their minds, but to listen to another man lose his virginity echoes in your mind like there's, it's not easy to express in words or language these emotions that come with. I remember the only thing that kept me sane through this chaos, through this fucking nightmare. I looked out my prison cell window, the little three-inch wide window, up to the razor wire. There's a pigeon that sat in it. Every single day I look up and I say, you know what? When I get up out this motherfucker, I'm going to join the other team. (laughs) 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 I I think I'm going to. I'm switching teams here. You know, it took 15 years to realize, you know, hey, this has got me nowhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? I had sobered up and, uh, you know, entering a, a supermax federal prison like that as a white boy is uh, is quite sobering. And um, 
you know, you start finding self and you start finding things to do to actually get your mind out of the situation that you're in or else you actually do lose your mind, especially when you're surrounded with hundreds of other grown men losing their minds. So I had this fantasy. I had this idea, you know what, when I get out of here, they're going to deport me back to Canada and I'm going to move up into the mountains, up into, up into British Columbia. And I had this vision of me hanging on a long line from a, a, a Coast Guard, saving somebody's life. And that, that was my fantasy. It was like big, you know, big chopper above, hanging there, just chop, 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 chop. Got a patient, I'm saving somebody's life. And that was what I held on to every day. I had this vision as the... Uh, of just helping somebody else, being a, a member of the community, being respected, not feared. And, uh, you know, I held on to that thought every day. And, of course, the back and forth in the mind was like, you know what, man, yeah, good luck. You know, you can't go from this lifestyle to that. But it's what I held on to. It was the dream. It was the fantasy. And it, it, it kept me well. I got deported back to Canada in 2002. I moved to uh, Whistler, British Columbia, and uh, within four, almost four months, I started asking around, how do I become um, Coast Guard or search and rescue? And it was told to me that you have to, you know, that's not a paid career. You've got to be a, you've got to be a volunteer of some sort, whatnot. Usually you've got to be a, you know, most, you've got to be a firefighter some volunteer service with a first responder of some sort. So I, I went down to the local fire department, knocked on the door. Hey, I'd like to be a firefighter. I said, well, you know, you come back in three months. We've got some uh, training, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, you got to do the aptitude test, the physical, and uh, we'll be hiring paid on calls then. So I came back a few months later, passed through all my physical, did everything, top of my class, right on. I sat down with the six white shirts there at this big table and let me tell you, Adam, let me tell you something just real quick. When I sat, I'll never forget, sitting at that interview table with those six white shirts, I was more nervous at that moment than I was walking into that prison. My 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 gut, actually, I still feel it today. This is the whole shit. This is my, this is my chance. I'm really changing my life where I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I can't fuck this up. Like I have everything else in my life. Well, the, uh, went through the interview process there and the guy said, what, what kind of experience do you have? Well, I, none. Well, what makes you think you could be one of us? That was the, that was the question from one of the captains. And I stood up. And I said, because I will be that guy that kicks down the door, comes in, grabs the child, grabs the whoever over my shoulder and out of that burning building. And they all kind of looked at each other and had a little bit of a chuckle. And he looks at me and says, yeah, well, that's not how we do things around here. <laughs> Why don't you go get some your first aid ticket? Why don't you go volunteer up on Black Hole Mountain as a ski patroller, get some experience, and come back next year? They kind of had a little bit of laugh and like, yeah, what the fuck's this guy think he is? And I walked out of there angry, ferocious, sad, disrespected. I said, these fucking guys have no idea what I've endured in my life. 
I don't think any one of them could endure one hour of my 15 years. And here they're telling me, go get some experience. Okay. So I went and photographically memorized my OFA level three book. I convinced Blackcomb Mountain to allow me to be a ski patroller. And let me tell you, they wanted me to do 22 days. I put in 97. I was the first guy there and the last guy to leave. I had five patients a day. Not many friends to ski at the Blackcomb Ski Patrol, but I loved the position. I loved that I had a cross on my back. I loved putting people into the ambulance like in a different way than things have been done in the past. And I sat down and went to the next year's fire service there to the whole thing, did the whole thing, the amplitude, the physical. And I sat down with those same six white shirt guys. And then the chief walks in just before the interview. And he says, Terrence, you know, I'm also a volunteer ski patroller up on Blackcomb. And uh, you, you certainly don't have many friends up there. You know, it was all we hear on the radio all day is Terrence, Terrence, 10-7, Terrence, 10-7. Ter- ter- I'm on, I'm, but I can see your dedication. I see how hard you want this. They didn't even interview me. He reached his hand out and said, welcome to Whistler Fire Rescue. Shook my hand. Game on. Wow. So I uh, went through uh, almost one year of their uh, training to be a, a firefighter. I'm a firefighter level one there. and uh, Or the whatever level they, wanna, they, they called it at that time. And um, yeah, started a family. Got a little cabin up here in the mountains. And two years later, um, the Olympics were coming to, to Whistler. We had won the bid for the Vancouver 2010 Games, and they needed a medic. And I thought, well, uh, hey, I'll put in for the job. And, of course, the boss at the track knew how hard I was working in town as a volunteer ski patroller, a family man, hockey player, and uh, also with the fire department. He said, how would you like to uh, um, you know, work up here full time? So got the job there as a, as a medic, now working with the uh, now working as a full-time uh, emergency medical responder for all the top athletes around the world. Never been so proud. I'm still volunteer ski patrolling. I'm still paid on call firefighter. Got my family. Life couldn't have been any better. It was like the dream from sitting in that prison cell had come true tenfold. Never had any thoughts. I put all that shit, that 15 years of traumatic experiences, and I'm talking by the hourly i stored it put it away got over it hey i'm indestructible i'm the motherfucking boss now all ego buddy 150 oh ego i was <laughs> you know thought i was superman yeah i i really did i've got crosses i got driving fire trucks i'm rescuing athletes i come from the ghettos to this it it's natural to um let ego take over. Uh, opening day of the Vancouver 2010 Winter Olympics, there was a luge athlete. His name is Nodar Kumaret Tashvili. Um, he had actually crashed earlier in the week uh, two or three times up in corner 12. And, um, of course, we would always respond and get back to him and get him back on, back on his feet, back up the track. Well, opening day of the games, we hear on our radio, okay, Nodar's up. Our team knows 
We know where he's going to crash. We know where he's going to stop. We know where to respond. So we're all in position. Okay, EMR is in position. Luge comes down track. Nodar is doing about 137 kilometers an hour. And we're all watching corner 12 to where he crashes every single time. And he didn't crash. He actually made it through the 50-50, corner 12, coming through 13. And we're all at the bottom, high five and nice, man. Like, wow, he fucking made it. Wow, he's going to make it this time. And we're watching the rest of his run coming through 14, down through the Thunderbird, coming around corner 16. Next thing you know, hit something in the track, shot straight up into the roof, down in the short wall, ricocheted twice. We start running towards the finish line because now he's going to crash a quarter kilometer away. It's where he's going to, sorry, arrest. And as we're running towards the finish line, next thing I know, I watched his sled and his body come out of the track and collide with a solid steel post at 153 kilometers an hour. I'll never forget that sound. I will never forget that visual. What happens next? Instinct, natural response. You do what we do as first responders. You get on scene and you just do. Airway, code three, code three, let's go. Lights and sirens, jump in the ambulance, CPR all the way until we pronounce them at the polyclinic. And afterwards, how do you explain this in words? This, this eerie silence of... Adam, let me ask you this. Have you ever... You know when you're in a dream and you're like, whoa, I'm actually in my fucking dream right now. Yeah, and you have that realization that but, you're... Yeah, right. You're in it. But everything's yeah. quiet and things aren't... You know, you're just... That's what it felt like, this, this list. This eerie, like, I'm not here, but I'm here. And I, I wish I had better uh, vocabulary or words to express this emotion. It's, it's not something, it's a phenomenon that I can't explain. Now, of course, you got to go, uh, everybody afterwards trying to give you hugs and it's okay, you did your best, uh, you know, and, and you're just like, you're just, you just want to just like, go away, leave me alone. I don't want, hey, do you want to talk? No, I don't want to fucking talk about it. You know, you get. You just start like, geez, it's just, you know, things aren't making sense. Now that night, you think I slept? It was a tough one. The reason why I didn't really, I had a, a, a difficult time sleeping that night was the world is going to want a reason. They're going to want to know why the medic, they want to blame somebody. And my conscience starts coming in all of my, um, the things that I had done since, since getting jumped into a gang at 15, all of those things are starting to come into my mind. All of those events, the, the, the drive-by shootings, the, the stabbings, the, all of that stuff's coming into my mind. I'm thinking, shit. The world is going to say, who's that medic? What's his background? What's his, why couldn't he save that athlete's life? He's supposed to be the best. And I'm thinking, shit, when they start looking into my past, realize that I'm an ex-convict, 
realize that I've done this, that, and the other, they're going to put all the blame on me. And now the mind starts consuming itself with these negative thoughts. Right. You're, you're sorry. You're, you're starting to go down the rabbit hole of putting it on yourself when, I mean, that, that incident in itself, I mean, if, if you've seen it and I have, um, and a lot of people have, there's, you knew from the get go that there was, there was nothing that could have been done. Right. It's not like it's there, there, it's not like any type that you could have had the best trauma surgeon in the world respond to that. And there's, there's the outcomes going to be the exact That's same. Right? So yeah, we did yeah. have the best. We're talking the Vancouver Olympics, billions and billions of dollars. Not only was I with uh, uh, ALS, but we also had a surgeon, one of the top surgeons in that ambulance with us on the way to the polyclinic. Let me tell you something. We did everything we could have did for this, this boy. I was going to say man, but he was only 21, still a boy. But the, but the mind is like, they're going to, they're going to fry me for this. And while you're thinking about the things that you've done before, which it's not like I, I like asked to think about them or like, they just started popping into my head, all these events that I'd forgot that I'd even done. The trouble part, the, the, the most trouble I had, Adam, was the emotions that came with those events. So it wasn't necessarily my first uh, uh, um, uh, being shot at or, or, or having a gun shoved down my throat or armed robbery. It wasn't the incident. It was the emotions that come with it. That adrenaline, when you've got your weapon and people are shooting at you, that's, an inc- that's, that's the scene. But there's fucking emotions that come with getting shot at. There's emotions that come with pulling trigger on an AK. There's emotions that come with the tears and the screams and the and the and everything of all of those scenes. And I'm not talking one or two, I'm talking fifteen years worth. So when people say flashback, I say, okay, that's a word. You don't just flash back to that event. Your emotions come back from those events. So when you have 15 years, or let's just say you have one year, when you have that many emotions, they all come back at once. It's not like, oh, I watched my bro just get shot, cut in half. It's you multiply, let's just for example, say 10 different events and all the emotions that come with those events all at once. That's a lot to take on, especially when <laughs> you got to go to work the next day and you got to stand there with a fucking smile on your face, put your cape on and pretend that everything's okay because your coworkers, the athletes, the public depends on you because of the patch that you're wearing on your shoulder. They're looking at you like you are, nothing can be wrong with you. You are our saving grace. And meanwhile, you're sitting there going, what the fuck is going on with me right now? You want to cry, but you got no tears. You're fucking angry, but you can't hit anything. You're trying to make sense of all this. And let me tell you, day after day, call after call for 21 freaking days, brother. Everything compiled, 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 got bigger and bigger. One hour after the Olympics were over, I had enough. And I just went and tried to kill myself. 
I'm not a suicidal guy. Something inside me just said, fuck this, man. I am done. I'm turning the switch off. I can't take the voices, the tears, the screams, the anger, the pain, the sadness. I can't take, I don't know how to manage any of this at all. I'm done. I don't care about my family, the public, my job, my fire department, my brother. I'm just, I'm out of here. Fuck it all. And that's not a conscious decision. That's just a, that's just a, I'm done. You, this is energy that moves you to just end your fucking life. I wish it was as easy as saying, well, yeah, I should just talk to someone. It just doesn't work that way. Our departments, our society, our books, our lessons, our learnings, it just says, oh, we're just supposed to talk to the psychologist. It just doesn't work that way, man. It's a bunch of hogwash to think that we can go talk our nervous system out of anything. So, I go to see my doctor a few days later. My angel, my uh, my chick, uh, said, you know, you... <laughs> the fuck you doing trying to kill yourself you gotta go see the doctor so i did okay i'll go talk to the doctor and that's the first time i heard the word ptsd he said "Ah, well classic i think you have ptsd you're gonna need a psychologist to get diagnosed she doesn't come up here for another three months but in the meantime and this is where his horns grew and the tail came out and the flames came up behind him. He says, in the meantime, <laughs> take some of these, take some of these, and um, take some of these. He wrote me a prescription for antipsychotic, tenazepam for sleep, and oxy-fucking-cotton. I don't know what any of these are, but it's the doctor. I trust him. I believe in him. He's the medical guy. Okay, doc. I'll take what you're saying. Three months later, do you think I want to see the psychologist? Think I want to tell her any of these things that have happened in my life or these thoughts or these, they'll go, they'll lock me up the same way they did my dad. You see, I left that part of the story out in the beginning. My father, when I was five and he did try to burn the house down, he actually got sentenced to Kingston Penitentiary, did eight years there. And then they transferred him over to Penetanguishene, which is an institute for the criminally insane, where my father spent his entire life. So while I'm all jacked up on these meds, trying to deal with this attempted suicide and all this other shit, trying to make sense of it all, oof, think I want to see the shrink? Tell her anything? Do I trust the system? No. Don't get me wrong. It's not a matter of a trust either. It was, I was feeling pretty good. I'm now taking, which I didn't know at the time, was heroin. Synthetic. (laughs) So I did feel pretty good. Trouble is, a year later, I became way too highly addicted to them where my doctors cut me off. And now you start going through the withdrawals and you start going through the opiate withdrawals, the dope sick and all the shit, the emotions that come with it that you've been masking this entire year with all this prescription medication. Now when they cut you off, what do you do? Guess where you go? I bet you got an answer. You know where, mm-hmm. what next? The damn streets. Cause I need some dope. I need some heroin. I need my shit. Cause I am dope sick. Have you ever been dope sick? I have not. Oh. How do you explain? I can't even explain dope sick. I can't explain. Uh, cause I don't want to go down that. I'll be 20 minutes trying to give you the, 
trying trying to <laughs> trying to explain what it's like to live in the deepest darkest depths of the devil's motherfucking belly. It's 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 uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep what we're talking about with post traumatic stress because the best part about this podcast, Adam, is we have natural positive solutions and like any good massages, we've got a happy ending to the story, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, a year later, guess who gets fired? Oh, Terrence, you're using drugs at work. What do you mean I'm using drugs? Yeah, well, you know, you're taking all these perks. Yeah, well, the doctors fucking gave them to me. You know, you need to go seek help. You need to go see a psychologist. You need to go to treatment. Sorry, fired. Not only did hmm. I quit ski patrolling, not only did I quit playing hockey, not only did I quit uh, coaching my stepson's high school basketball team, just didn't become a member of society anymore. I didn't want to face the world at all. All I wanted to do is keep consuming all these freaking meds. They could just numb you right out from it all. And you just lose your 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 whole reason for living slowly. It's not overnight. It's this very, very slow, torturous fucking death. Well, I got fired from the trap. Got let go from the uh, fire department. And um, I said, okay, I better listen to what they're all telling me. I better go to the insurance company and talk to WCB. You know, you know what WCB is? Workers' Compensation Board? I do with them regularly, yep, or I have in the past. Okay, right, the, the biggest mafia organized crime family in our country, but we'll we'll get to that <laughs> later. No, no, really, because... <laughs> we'll, we'll leave that one on the on the shelf, but well, yeah. No, we'll pull it back out in a minute because we do have a really good... Um, we do have some good news about that too. So I go through, I go okay. to check in, I go to check into treatment at the cost of 8,000 freaking dollars that I don't have to try to get some help. Two week wait just to get into a detox center, get into a treatment center and um, start trying to sober up a little bit. And uh, also jumping through the hoops that our system, our fire departments, police departments say, jump through these hoops, little monkey, and you're going to be okay. Well, as you're jumping through the hoops, it's doing nothing but costing you money. You're off all of your meds. You have no real direction, but you're just following what's on paper. So do this and you'll be okay. Do this and you'll be and do this. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. After nine and a half months of jumping through WCB's hoops like a circus monkey, their first denial was all of the signs and symptoms of post-traumatic stress or what they've labeled this post-traumatic stress to be. It was all the signs and symptoms, depression, addiction, suicide. It's, it's all there. And they denied me for having all of that. Now, where's the sense to that? Now you're nine months in. Your family's not eating. You've got your bills to pay. What do you do? Well, fuck, man. I got. I know I'm right. I know what I've been through. I'm. I gotta follow the route. I gotta follow the path and do the right thing. I spent the next year and a half appealing my case, trying to prove that my post-traumatic stress was work, stemmed from work being work-related. They denied me again. You know what I did, Adam? Do you know this part of the story? I do a little bit, but I'll let you, I'll you, let you tell I'll, it so that everybody knows what's I'll going on. I'll keep it really simple. I loaded up all my freaking rifles, and I went down to WCB to shoot every single last one of those 
people. That's where my mind was at. I, you got to be kidding me, this, 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 this torture they put you through over and your family, your life, your well-being. I went down there to shoot every single one of them, and I was going to go death by cop. So that they would do an investigation into this massacre, how this crazed lunatic came in and shot everybody at WCB. They're going to want answers, and they're going to have to do an investigation. And I thought at that point, they would go into WCB and see all the bullshit they put you through, and they'd see it right there say, well, how come when he asked for help on day one, why did it take you three years to keep fucking him in the ass the whole time? What do you expect? You molded the man into doing this. That was my plan. That was my thinking. Then maybe changes would be made when people ask for help. They get the help or they get the tools that they need to manage their emotions. Not only the tools. How about some education, knowledge, and a better understanding of what I'm going through as a human being? Don't call me a firefighter. Don't call me a gangster. I'm a human being. Period. Well, that was the thinking. I actually went down to WCP, got in the elevator, left the guns in the car, went up the elevator, and I got off. And I wanted to, the second I stepped off the elevator, my plan was to, who's going down first, second, third, fourth? And the second I got off the elevator, the woman at the desk, she just looks up with this little smile. And I thought, wait a minute. She has no idea. She didn't do this to me. It, it dawned on me. My heart, myself came back. I didn't have that anger. I was like, this is just another human being. That's not me. I can't do that. And I went back down to my car. I fucked off. Went back to my cabin. I was good. Over the course of the next few years, up until, uh, what, it was 20, 2015, I ended up, like I said, lost my family, lost the career, lost everything. Um, oh, I, I didn't tell you that. I did. I lost my family. And uh, back in 2015, I found myself living homeless on the downtown east side. I had finally just lost everything. I tried everything. I tried to do what the book said, the insurance company said, and everybody just kept taking, taking, taking until had, I had absolutely nothing left. No materials, no home, no family, no job, no money, no nothing. And I'm still addicted now to the heroin that they put me on back in 2010. And I'm hiding behind dumpsters on the downtown east side, 60 pounds underweight. My skin stuck to my bones like a Holocaust victim. And I'm just freaking, what the fuck happened here? <laughs> I was doing so good. Where's my hair? Where's my cape? Why aren't the people? loving me anymore. I can't eat. I got to rummage around with these fucking rats. I, I remember waking, what would wake me up in the morning out of a psychosis was the tickling of the rat's tails jumping over my legs. It's not a fun place to be, especially emotionally when you wake up and think how hard I tried just to become a first responder, how much I gave to the community, to the people. And not only I'm talking physical, I'm talking emotionally. You take on their pain. Everybody who is crying, who is hurt, has a broken leg, the fire, the house, the, the public, everything you did. And now, now I need a little bit of help. And where is everybody? They're all gone. 
they've taken everything from you after you've given they've taken more and you're left standing there going fuck the fuck I went and robbed a drug dealer committed a pretty bad crime with him to uh, to re-up on my next load <sighs> to the point where I um, was like shit I'm in some deep trouble here I better get out of Dodge I got in my Jeep I started driving out of the downtown area and my mind had got the worst of me. I had been up for almost three and a half weeks. And uh, shit. I was coming up over the Lionsgate Bridge. I came up about a quarter of the way. And I thought the FBI were coming. SWAT team was going to be there. was going to be a roll. I got all so sketchy, so paranoid. I stopped the car. I got out. And I went to jump off the Lionsgate Bridge wasn't a conscious decision. It wasn't a, hey, I'm going to kill myself. It was just that second. Again. Again. I, and I tell you, Adam, and I wrote this in my book, I actually think I jumped. Because everything that's happened since that moment is just the next life. That was it. That was your turning point. You know, I got up on the side of the bridge and I remember looking out and I remember seeing how high, I remember the feeling of how, it was the first time I had a feeling, like a, uh, like, like, a, like, an emo, like an emotion in my belly that when I jump, that's a long way down and do I want to feel that last 20 seconds of free fall to my death? That was my thought. That was the last thought I had. That was the last, oh, fuck. And somehow I woke up here in the mountains, 200 kilometers away from people. October, oh, I was October, beginning of November, cold. My cabin, it's only a summer cabin, smells of death. My mattress pretty much dripping from the sweat and withdrawals that I've been through. I don't even know how I got here. I didn't know where I was, why I was, what the hell is going on. And uh, I don't even know how many days I was either dead and came back to, or if uh, I, I, I just very, very confused. But what happens next, Adam? Let me ask you this. If I took you right now, picked you up out of your chair, threw you up into the freaking mountains and it's about to start snowing, what are you going to do? <laughs> With, without any equipment? Nothing. Oh, no phone, no phone. You're 200 kilometers away from people. You're just all of a sudden you're in the middle of the fucking mountains. What do you do next? What's your first? Well, my, well, obviously my brain goes survival, right? So you're going shelter, fire, Bingo. water, food, but exactly, animal instinct. Yeah, kicks in. It was I, I'm fucking freezing. I need heat. Go start chopping firewood. Where are you going to get some food? Up in the woods? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you mean the grocery? You mean that grocery store up in the woods? 
No, uh, see that's you see that's that's maybe maybe that's a little bit more impactful with people that don't like the woods as much as I do because I'm like shit, man. I could. You want to start going through the list? <laughs> yeah. well, let me let me let me break down pine trees for you real quick and how they're like the best tree in the world. If so, anyways, I'll let you... yeah, share them with us. Here, let me stop talking for a fucking minute. Tell me about the pine tree. What? Yeah. Give me some. I'm happy to learn yeah, something right. new today. That, then, rambling oh, no, about my no. boring story uh, tell me something about the pine trees. oh it's not not boring at all no just pine trees you know how they're uh they're useful in in multiple situations not only can they be used for shelter right with the branches and the boughs they can be used as an insulating layer right so you have your pine boughs out yeah. the it's edible so the bark system is edible not only that but you can get pine nuts out of the pine cones if they haven't blossomed already you can use those by putting them by the fire you can take you can take the needles right you can boil those down and you can create antiseptics. You can create a whole vast amount of things for medical use. Um, and you can also use, you know, the tar or the sap um, used to close any wound. It's almost as good as super glue. So it's just a, it's a very versatile, versatile plant. I look forward to having you come up here and let's go trying to find us a pine tree which I'm looking at many. Actually, I'm looking that at... That might be tough, yeah. Well, no, I've got a lot of Douglas firs. Uh, okay, I'm yeah. I'm looking at pine cones, so I imagine <laughs> we're on the... You know, and I use... I understand what you're saying, but I look forward to having you up here to learn a little bit more. Yeah. So a few a few things, too, Terrence, that I want to want to touch on. Your your story is, is very unique, and, and I... First off, I want to say thank you so much for sharing that. I know for you, it's, that's, that's what you do. And, and you know, this, you've devoted your life to sharing your story so that other, you can help other people with it. But the thing is, is that it's, it's not an isolated incident. There's, there's law enforcement members, first responders, military veterans all around the world that have shared in this story with you. Um, and they don't have a voice. A lot of them don't have a voice, and I want to thank you for giving those people a voice, um, whether it be on my show and with all the stuff that you're doing, um, because I think it's an important story to tell and so that people know that it's not, you know, it, there is no cut and dry from start to finish on how this stuff plays out. Everybody's story is unique. Everyone's story is different. And that, you know, it has to be given a voice. So thank you, sir, for that. But let's 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 take it off from you're up yep. you're in the woods and i'm guessing this is kind of where you had your i don't call it an epiphany but you had you had some a moment of clarity so let's let's talk about that absolutely and i just i just want to say uh thank you uh sorry i'm getting some feedback on your side now okay there we go um uh, my story is is just my story we all have our story we all have our events. We all have our uh, individual things that have happened to us since childhood. Uh, all the little things they compiled. My, if, um, I humbly say, uh, speak respectfully, that I am not saying my story is of any better, crazier, anything more unique. It's just a story. It's an experience. And without it, as I, what allow me to get to what I'm getting at is, as traumatic as any of our stories are, and as much um, anger and hate and sadness and depression, everything that stems from it, in time, with the right education, knowledge, and understanding, and the proper tools to manage, 
through gratitude, forgiveness, and the setting positive intentions, our story as, oh, the fucking gangbang in the prison, the fucking all this, and the WCB and the shooting, this. Hey, guess what? Those become our gifts. Because without our story, we don't get to learn who the fuck we are. We don't get to learn what we're made of. We're not able to learn what we're actually capable of. And without that story, without our story, who's going to step forward to make the positive changes in our society that we need so that the next generation doesn't have to struggle or endure that pain and suffering? That's the key, is understanding that. We've been gifted trauma. We've been gifted getting shot at. We've been gifted getting freaking... All the shit that happens to it. Those are our gifts. That's good. That sounds fucked, but bear with me. Or, or how does that sound? I know exactly where you're going to go with it. So I'm going to let you run with it. <laughs> shit, I'm like, I'm like trying not to talk so much here. <laughs> I'm excited. No, man, I'm excited. I like, I could, I could, you, you know what? It's funny. And I'm sure everybody listening to this right now, too, is you, you have such a um, uh, emphatic and. Um, What's that word just, mean? Uh, like boisterous, uh, it, it's, it's, you have an exciting way of, of oh. sharing and telling your story. So I'm kind of like I'm on the edge of my seat, waiting, waiting for the next. Come on, come on. Yeah. You know what come you on, know. I know what happened. So go, go, go for it, man. Uh, Keep going. That's that, that's that's um uh, inspiring to know because let me tell you, my biggest fear, my biggest insecurity, my entire life, is telling my anybody my story. You got up to your cabin. You're out in the woods and you're out in nature. And I have a feeling that's where you're going to be going with this is nature has a way of, of touching each of us differently, um, especially if you haven't been exposed to it before and it has some healing properties. And I want you to explain to everybody exactly how you found that and what that's uh, all about. i tell you, you know, I didn't, uh, it wasn't by choice. I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go into nature and get my shit back. It was, I'm running from the law, my life. I just attempted to to kill myself for the last time and somehow i ended up here it wasn't like this is what i gotta do now i'm hunting i'm fishing i'm gathering firewood and i am going through the worst withdrawals of my life because Jesus, for just over a month, I consumed every single drug known to mankind, just and I was not dying. So I can't even begin to explain what I was going through mentally, physically, emotionally. It was insanity, pure insanity. As I'm fishing with uh, um, one of my native uh, uh, people, uh, Mr. Amby Peters, just down the uh, over at the Seat Lake Indian Band here, I looks over. <clears throat> it's about my first week. And I'm just going through my shit, and I gotta eat. I don't have a choice. I gotta catch a fish. And I looked over and I saw this big, massive fucking tractor tire on the side of the riverbank. You ever watch UFC? Yep. I remember years ago watching GSP. You know GSP? George St. Yep. Pierre. Yeah. I think I think every Canadian knows him, and probably most. Most of our friends in the U.S. probably do yes. as well. I think he was going to be, it was a title fight. I think, I 
think it was maybe Matt Sarah. No, Matt Sarah. Maybe it was Matt Sarah or Matt Hughes. Or Matt Hughes. Yes, yes. And I was watching the training, how they were training for their um, uh, title fight. And I remember years earlier watching Hughes flipping this massive tractor tire, like just whoa, beast mode. And I was like, you know, when you see a, a man do that, it's like, okay, that's how you become the world champion, uh, you know, is, this is what you got to do, the strength, the endurance, the power. And I was very impressed by that. Anyways, I'm out fishing and I see this tractor tire and I have this vision of, of what I saw years earlier. And I thought, you know what, if, if I want to get my life back and I want to be the world champion, I got to start flipping that tire around just the same as Matt, Matt Hughes did. I, that's what I'm going to have to do. And I looked at that tire. I thought, man, I'm I'm going to. I, that's, I'm gonna. I, I got excited. I I was like, you know what? I'm gonna get my shit back. I am going to flip that tire all over these mountains. And and in six months from now, I'm gonna show all those people who shut the door on my face, who stabbed me in the back, who laughed at me when I was down. I'm going to show them all who's the motherfucking boss. Mother put my fishing pole down, Adam. I goes over, I clean. This thing's been laying there 20, 30 years, this old nasty tire. I clean up all the shit up out of it, all the grass. Get down, grab it, get it up. Fuck to my knees, up, just over my shoulder and flipped it over. And I said, oh, uh, yep, that's not for me. <laughs> Nope. I made a mistake. Yeah, I don't know who I thought I was, but I ain't no Matt Sarah. I ain't no GSP. I ain't no cage fighter. I'm just a drug addict. I'm just a nobody. I'm family. I got, and I talked myself down. I talked myself right out of it. You fucking little bitch. You ain't got nothing. You're home. You got no power. You got no food. You're fishing like a fuck pathetic. I'm looking at the bone sticking out of my damn arms, just like, you're fucking. Go home. I remember Ambi caught two uh, two fish that day. He gave them to me. I came back here to my fire. I was getting cooking the fish, and I'm sitting there thinking, you know something? Out of everything I've endured in my life, I'm going to let a tractor tire beat me, too? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I can do this. But you know what? I'm not giving up. Uh, I put my headlamp on. I remember having to get some tuck tape to tuck tape it together. It was such a piece of garbage. And I walked all the way back to the tire. I'm going to do this. And I grabbed the tire again. I flipped it like two or three more times. <sighs> oh, fuck, man. I just I can't. And I talked myself back out of it. You little bitch, you're the whole, you can't do all the shit, all the negativity flooded my mind, all the shit that happened to me. Poor Terrence, you ain't nothing. I got back here pouting the blues. The next day, still going through my opiate withdrawals, you know what, I gotta do it. And I went back again. And I flipped it a couple more times, and I gave up. Fuck, man, you just don't have the strength. You just don't have the power. And I started giving myself all these bullshit excuses. You can't do it. Society, you got no money. I just tuck my tail between my legs right back to my cabin. Next day, 
but I gotta do it, mother. I gotta get my life back. And when my mind was consuming me, I went back again and I flipped it a couple more times and I was like, you know, I made it this far. I don't want to walk all the way back home again with the, with the pouty fucking bullshit. So I sat in the tire. And I remembered once somebody had told me, just breathe. Take a nice five-second breath in your nose and a five-second breath out of your mouth. I think it was some psychologist that told me that in my early days of trying to get my shit back. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it now. Because back in my shit, I'm not ready to learn breaths. So I sat there and I took a nice five-second breath in. Five, three, four, five. And I did it again. Five seconds breath in. Five seconds breath out. Five se- and I did that five times. I called them five-by-fives. Five seconds in, five seconds out, five times. And when I opened my eyes, you know what? Everything's okay. The chatter in my mind stopped. It was, ah, you know, ah, I'm here still. And I flipped the tire four more times. I did three push-ups and I did like two sit-ups and I sat there again and I did my breathing. And then I started looking out into the mountains. It started to rain, very cold rain. And my mind immediately, oh, you're going to get wet. you got to go home. No. I actually could feel the rain. It felt nice. I was thankful that I could feel. I was grateful for the rain. I'm alive. Motherfuckers, I'm alive. I looked up into the mountains. And I could actually start to see the wood through the trees. I could see the color. I could see the lake. I could start to hear what I thought was birds. It's it's like I started coming back to reality. I like this feeling. And I flipped the tire a couple more times and and I, I gave up and I came back home. I went back and forth to that tire every single day with the same idea of I can do this and I would bark at the mountains. I'd look and I'd I'd look up into the mountains. I see all the people clapping, proud. I saw myself on stages, sharing the experience, motivating, inspiring the people. And then I'd laugh to myself, like, "Yeah, right. Here, I'm still fucking like fishing to eat." But I I saw I had a vision. I saw I started thinking more positive. It's what drove me was my pain to succeed, to show the people who's the boss. And I kept, and then I started thinking, what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for my life today. I'm alive today. And I would breathe. And then what, I, well, then what kicked in on about my second or third week was, you know what? I got to start forgiving. I got to start forgiving some people. Because in my mind, while I'm flipping this tire, I've got this hatred for WCB. I got this hatred for my boss and the fire chief and all those people. And that I didn't like that feeling of exerting all this energy and hatred. So after I would exert the energy, the hatred, the fucking power, I would sit and breathe and forgive. 
I forgive chief so-and-so. I forgive so-and-so. Whoa, what a nice feeling. I'd start flipping the tires some more. Start doing some more push-ups. After 30 days, almost almost five weeks, I was out there for 18 hours a day flipping that tire. I was almost clocking a kilometer a day. I had never felt better in my life. I couldn't. When I went to sleep, I was out from all the hard work that I had done that day. And when my eyes opened up, I couldn't have been more excited to get out to see the trees, to feel the lake, to experience that positive energy blasting through this damn tire. And I thought, wow, man, I'll look up in the mountain and say, why didn't anybody suggest mindfulness, meditation, gratitude, forgiveness, exercise, be in a natural environment? Why the drugs? Why the meds? Why the psychology? Pay, pay, pay. This shit's free. Fuck. But it ain't easy. Let me tell you something. I've left out the actual pain and struggle and challenge that came with each tire flip, each raindrop, each snowflake, each second I had to try to forgive somebody. That shit ain't easy. But I had to do it every day. And here it was. I'm like, wow. I've never felt better in my life. Nothing has been more clear ever. Oh, holy shit. This is just, it's remarkable. It's a, just an entering a whole nother dimension connected to the positive connection to the power of positive thinking and the connection to a higher level of consciousness. I could sit there and drown in my sorrows and the poor me's and my whole story or I could look towards what do I want today and be in the moment as opposed to letting uh, the, the mind escape to tomorrow and what you didn't have yesterday. It's about staying present in the moment. Putting in the work. Nobody's holding my hand. Nobody's buying nothing. I had to do the work. Oh, well, shit, man. What am I going to do? Man, I tell you what I'm going to do, Adam. I'm going to write a book. That was my whole idea. I was like, you know what? I'm going to tell my story, my book, and how. Mother Nature helped me get my life back. How the Seton Lake Indian Band in the old ways, the instinctual ways of survival and flipping this tractor tire. Man, this is going to be a bestseller. I went down to the uh, local payphone and I looked up and uh, the one publishing company says, well, sounds like you've got a great story. Of course. Why don't you give us your first chapter, middle chapter, final chapter, edited and book ready, and we'll see about giving you a grant. So I came back here, I flipped my tire, I'm like, I'm going to write a book, motherfuckers, boom, yeah, like, look where I am now, woo, all stoked, ego, still. And I bang out the first chapter, like on like 60 pieces of paper. And then I get to my middle chapter, I'm like, whoa, Jesus, where do I, where, where, where's the middle of my fucking story? Well, I put it on about 50 pages. And then I got to the final chapter about a week later. I get to the final chapter, and I'm sitting there going, oh, shit. And I had this vision that, that Steven Spielberg was going to make a movie from this book. And, and I pictured myself in the back of the movie theater. Got my fucking popcorn. I got my Sour Patch Kids and my root beer. And I'm watching this movie. Ah. And then it gets to the end. 
and you flipped some fucking tractor tire and you started meditating and you got your life, that's the end. What? I want my money back. What kind of shit ending is that? <laughs> I want my money back. The Sour Patch Kids are no good. This is shit. What? What do you mean you got some fucking flip some tire? I got, ah, fuck out. So I was like, you know what? I'm in charge of the ending of my own movie. I can, I am still able to make my own final chapter. This doesn't have to be the final chapter. I can make my own final chapter. What would make for a perfect ending that would inspire, motivate centuries and, and or, or, or generations to come from those 40 something years of experience? What would be a great, and I had a vision. I said, you know, I could see a camp. I could see 200 acres of land with horses and chickens and families flipping tires, building cabins, meditating together, canoeing together, fishing together, chopping firewood together year round, living as a nice small community, first responders, veterans, firefighters, police, everybody up here, no uniforms, just people with their families, with their kids, experiencing life naturally. I had that vision and I took my book and I fucking shut it. I am going to start that camp. I'm going to make my own final chapter. Reality check. Uh, 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 Oh yeah. Right. Oh, right. That's going to cost money. You know, I don't have canoes. I don't have life jackets. I don't have food. I don't have marketing. I don't have, I, it was all the excuses. Is the same bullshit excuses I gave myself when I first started flipping that tire. You're just this, 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 this. And what I just learned is you're going to have to fucking, if you can't go through it, under it, around it, you might have to go over it, but you got to have to fucking figure it out and put in the work. Take that first step. Fail. Fall. Get your ass back up and go the other way. Fail. Fall. Try the other way. If you believe in it, quit making excuses and just make it happen. So, took one step, failed. Took the next step, failed. And very long, grueling story later, six months later, we ran that first camp. We had 16 people come up to that camp. I was, I had earned uh, 22 sponsors who helped with the groceries, who helped with hotels, helicopter transportation, yoga instructors. Uh, um, uh, two veterans had come up to experience. We had mindfulness uh, facilitators. We had canoes, life jet, all that donated. But I had to walk into each one of those businesses while I slept in my car, while I slept in bathroom stalls, while I fell asleep outside of the freaking Starbucks waiting for it to open in the morning just so I can get out there. And that first six months, I got 987 business cards, pieces of paper, backs of match packs with phone numbers, email addresses. And I started to learn how to use a computer. I had to open up an email account and was like, wow, this is what you got to do. And we ran that first camp. And while the campers were up here, I looked around and said, holy shit, not a penny spent. 
and look at the effect that we're having on the people laughing, meditating, holding hands, sharing their story, sharing their tears, hugging, helping each other, teamwork. What? No psychology. No money. No rules. No law. Just each other. Oh, buddy, uh, uh, let me tell you, uh, how do you express this in word? How do you express that kind of inspiration? How do you express that emotion? Well, after that camp, everybody went home. I was like, wow. I still followed my daily routine. I still flipped my tire. I still did my forgiveness. I still did my gratitude. Still followed the same routine and nothing changed from day one of flipping that tire and finding the breath. I had to follow that routine. No excuses. 27 hours a day. Well, now after we ran that camp, whoa, now we got a bit of a problem. I know that the police department, fire department, the vet, they don't even accept the word PTSD. How the heck is anybody going to want to come up to a camp when they don't even accept that it's a problem? Nobody talks about it. Everybody's, oh, that's a disease. Oh, that's a disorder. That's not me. Nobody's going to want to come to this camp because they're not even accepted the problem yet. So I kind of put the cart in front of the horse. Is that the saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. I said, shit, well, you know what I'm going to have to do? I'm going to have to do something to raise awareness to PTSD. I'm going to have to do something to get the public's attention and let them know that recovery is possible. Let them know what post-traumatic stress is. Nobody knows what it is. Everybody says it's a disorder. It's going to fuck you up. It's a disease. You're going to die. Fuck that shit. Bunch of hogwash. That's what they'll have you think. So, on February the 12th, 2016 I launched a program called Breaking the Chains BC and I did it on February the 12th oh did it right what's it I took my tractor tire and I shackled myself in 60 pounds of solid steel chains and I flipped it right here from my cabin 37 kilometers across seven mountains in 30 days to bring awareness to post-traumatic stress. I learned to get it out to the people. You have to go on this Facebook. So I opened up a Facebook account and I started saying, hey, this is what I'm doing and why. I got to about my 12th kilometer. And let me tell you, I got, I got, I should send you a picture of my fridges and my cupboards. I got about uh, hundreds of, Pieces of paper from veterans and police and commanders and fucking people from across the country that mailed me all their letters. Of it, it, that, that was the gas in my tank. All the people saying, finally, somebody's speaking about it. Somebody's raising awareness, Terrence. So it's so much needed. I was like, wow. Okay, this is cool. Okay. We are raising awareness. There are other people out there struggling. Holy shit, it's not just my fucking bad luck. Wow. I got to about the 12th kilometer and I get an email from a, a police officer in the on the East Coast there. It says, hey, Terrence, do you know the suicide rate in Canada? Uh, uh, no. He says, last year, 97 first responders died by suicide who were diagnosed with post-traumatic stress. And I sat there, when I read that email, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you telling me 
that it wasn't just Terrence's bad luck that I tried to kill myself from not getting the help. You're telling me, and I had a good conversation with him after for, for days. You're telling me that 97 first responders, police, fire, EMS, military, have actually died by suicide? I, 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 was, I was completely fucking blown away. You've got to be fucking kidding me. I had no idea that, that I thought my, clearly, you know, my story, it's a, I've had a little bit of bad luck on my side, but to hear the facts that other people have died, I know why. Oh, and do I ever, do I know why? I called the bro of mine over in Germany, Mr. Peter Dietz, chief commander of the Bad Omberg Fire Department of 44 years. Hey, chief. What's the suicide rate in Germany? Because I was just told that in Canada, we have nearly 100 that died by suicide last year. He got back to me four days later. In Germany, and I'm talking Germany, not one in 20 years has died by suicide who is diagnosed with what they call over there post-traumatic stress syndrome. So, and I, I know it's coming. So what's, how can there be that much of a difference? What is, what are they doing in Europe that we aren't doing in North America? We'll definitely get to that because we've been working very closely with them. And in fact, it, like I said, I just got off before this call, another two hour with another chief commander, because what, what I plan on bringing, well, so, okay, let, I shouldn't say I, that's very egotistical because we do have a team. It's uh, work that we've been doing ever since back in 2016 and we are making progress. So, so what happens is uh, we flip this tire, we five, I learned this number and each time I'm flipping that tire, holy shit, I can't believe this number. Like we need to make some changes. What are they doing? So the second I got to Whistler, this whole 37 kilometers in 30 days across seven mountains to raise awareness. All these people on social media, Terrence is so awesome. All these net letters, notes, awesome. The community of Whistler in memory of the athlete who was killed during the Olympics. I shows up for the final kilometer in Whistler where this happened. Guess who else showed up? Nobody. I got there and there wasn't a single person there. Not, I reached out to the fire departments, every fire department, every police department, every e uh, BC ambulance service member that I could possibly get hold of. I went at them the same way as I did when I got my camp started. Not one email came back and not one member showed up. I was sick to my stomach. And I looked up Blackcomb Mountain. I said, you know what? Maybe we need to do things a little bit differently next year. And next year, I'm going to flip that tire right from this point at Nodar's Memorial in Whistler Olympic Plaza. I'm going to start right here, and I'm going to flip that tire all the way up the side of Black Hole Mountain to the glacier and let the world know what the fuck is going on. I soaked up my tears. I talked to Luthanza. I talked them into giving me a plane ticket to Germany to learn what they're doing. Luthanza didn't just put me on a plane. They put me in first class. Because I don't have no money. They flew me to Germany and I sat there for three and a half months and I worked with all their departments, police, fire, and, and, and ambulance, and the Red Cross service. You know what? They come to the airport to pick me up. 
I go to their families' homes for dinner. I go to their schools to give uh, talks. And yet, I come back to Canada. <laughs> There's nobody there. They don't return your emails. So do you see the problem? Do you see a little bit of a problem? It's accepted. It's talked about. What is, how do we summarize this? Where do we go with this? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's, let's continue with the story the way it goes before I go off on some left field rant. Right down the Well, you know, because there's just, there's just, well, there's just so much that's happened. There's so much that has happened over the last hundreds of years. And there's such easy, free, natural solutions that we can actually bring to more, bring more value to the future of humanity and save so many more lives that, that my mind is, is, is bombarded with just so much. It's, it's hard to just stay on one track. So, so, right. so we'll keep with the story here. So what do I, so while I'm learning what they're doing, I say to myself, ah, okay, what can we do back in Canada to at least start the change? Well, it starts at, at least in my mind at that time was to change the law, to change legislation, to make an amendment to the Workers' Compensation Act. No first responder who asks for help should have to spend two or three years trying to prove a neurological injury or a physical injury, a wound that you can't see. Fuck, that's just, that's just not possible. They'll find every way not to, 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 to deny you. So, okay, I'm going to start a petition to make an amendment to the Workers' Compensation Act. I want to start a petition to, to, to change legislation. So we did. I flew back to Canada. And on July 1st, Canada Day, I was like, hey, in order to make change, you need the public on board. So clearly no first responders are showing up, so you better get the public on board. So I thought, where, where where's all the public going to be? Canada Day, they're going to be at the Parliament Building. They're going to be at the Legislature Building and in Victoria. Ah, with all their faces painted, waving their flags with their families. Well, guess who else is going to be there? Jacked and stacked and fatigued, shackled and chains, mohawk flipping tires with a petition. <laughs> Tearing up the motherfucking grass at the Legislature Building. People, who the fuck are you? Well, let me tell you, don't worry about who I am, but this is what we're doing. Sign here. We want to make it a we want to make it so that when a first responder asks for help, he gets it the second he asks for it. No questions asked. And the public's like, oh, absolutely. What do you mean? What do you mean PTSD isn't recognized as a workplace injury? What do you mean a first the public is unaware of this? Hogwash. So that first day, over 4,000 signatures. It made the news. Um, it, uh, we had people go to the website, our It's Not Week to Speak website, and they got to sign the petition online. It got shared. It was awesome. It was on social media. Great. The next year, or sorry, two months later, um, I, I needed a team of people. Because that first day at the legislature building, I was surrounded by so much of the public while I stood on my tire like a little soapbox preaching this propaganda or what I don't know if that's the right word, uh, talking about what we need to do, people, that I only had one clipboard and I need 20, 30 more people with 20, 30 more clipboards. 
So I thought, where am I going to find these people? I went to the fire department, the police department. I went all over Vancouver. Hey, guys, this is what I want to do. We want to make these changes. Guess what? Not one fireman was allowed to sign a petition. Not one fireman was allowed to show up. Not one police officer even came to the door to talk to me to make this change. I'm like, I'm here to help you. This isn't for me. I don't get nothing out of this. You got to help your people. They didn't believe me. They didn't believe none of this even happened. They were ignorant. Shut the door on my face the same as when I asked for help. They shut the door. I'm trying to bring them help. So I went to the Together We Can Drug and Alcohol Recovery Center. I went to the treatment center that I was back four years earlier to give my presentation This is what I'm trying to do. I need warriors. I need men who are going to walk the walk. Come on out with their clipboards. Help me flip my tire around Stanley Park seawall. Talk to the public. Be proud of who you are. It's okay. This is what we're trying to do. The next day, so I give the presentation at the treatment center to 70 guys, 70 grown men who have just barely off their knees from asking for their life back. They've lost their family. They were suicidal. They're addicted to all these fucking drugs. They can't even see straight. And I'm trying to give this presentation to 70 of them, hoping that a couple will show up the next day to help me with this mission. The very next day, 12 buses showed up. Every single one of those men showed up. Shirts off, war paint on, we all shackled up in chains, and we started flipping that tire all the way down the beach, talking to every single member of the public possible. Another 5,000 signatures. Ah, so let's do this again in a couple weeks, boys. We did it again. And at that point, the member of the Legislative Assembly, Mr. Shane Simpson from the BC NDP, he shows up, hands me his card. Hey, I hear you want something done with this led. Well, I'm the politician. I'm the guy that's going to make it happen. Right on, brother. We collaborated together. Six months later, I did take my tire and I flipped it all the way up the side of Black Hole Mountain. Took nine days right to the glacier. We hit the news. We ranted, raved, and we talked to every single person we could around the country. That petition went around like crazy. Extremely long story short, as of April 11th this year, we made the amendment to the Workers' Compensation Act. It's called the presumption of illness, meaning when any first responder walks in there asking for help after they've been diagnosed with post-traumatic stress, they're not leaving without the help they came for. That's amazing. And that and that came into effect this year, right? Now, I'm not going to get into the, because it's a whole other path, but it's kind of smoke and mirrors. The government at that point wasn't in position to make the amendment when I, when we first started. So they got on this train with Terrence and we're doing this thing. And yes, we want to help our first responders. They won power. They took, they took over conservatives. Um, I don't, I don't even know. I don't want to talk politics cause I'm not a, I'm not that guy. Um, but they, anyways, they won their votes. <sighs> they won power a year later. Um, It got taken out of Shane's hands and it got put into Harry Baines, which knows absolutely nothing about anything. He just wrote it up and it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors. It's, hey, look what we did. We said we were going to do it. If you voted for us, you voted, we won power and we did it. But I'm talking to a lot of people who are trying to get that help and it's just more smoke and mirrors to the people. So it sounds great, looks great to the people. 
it's just more um nonsense um um it's 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 not what it could be and we'll go there another day because we got other work to do yeah freaking greasy suit well you know what like it's just you got to understand no it's not the greasy well it's people it's humanity it's our society and if you take a look at the reality of everything i'm not interested in okay yes i was interested in helping the first responder who needs the help but what i'm more interested in now is the prevention the tools the education and knowledge that we can share like they do in germany long before you get in the fire truck long before and i'm talking kindergarten Right. This is so. Let's get into that. Let's let's talk about it. You brought it up. Let's 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 dive. <laughs> Sorry about if I take take it off to the wrong. No, fucking, yeah. No, that's I, good. I like I like that. Let's let's talk about some things that you guys are doing, not only with Camp My Way, but some things that you're doing right now. Um, information that you're getting out there so that people can start. Yeah. Not not dealing with it before it happens, but preparing themselves mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, for what could happen? Well, you know, it would be... Let's see here. So, there's... Okay, so, uh, here, you know what? Um, I I was going to say, I have a program called, a presentation called Just Breathe. It's the Emotional Behavioral... um, it's 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 educational, motivational, inspirational. It's education, knowledge, preventative, all the tools that we can use, the simple tools um, to share at fire departments, police departments, everywhere, that we can go in and at least begin that process of sharing with them what post-traumatic stress is. So let's, let me ask you this before we get into that. Let me ask you, Adam, and to your people, and, and let's take a pause before you answer it. What is post-traumatic stress? Let's just take a pause and let the people think about that. What do you think it is? Because people always say, I have it. Oh, I have it. You don't have it. What is it? Let's just take a second. What is? When I hear, oh, uh, yeah, I was diagnosed PTSD. Yeah, well, what is that? Let's start with the education part. What is go ahead, Adam. So are you okay, so you want to know you're looking for what I my thoughts on what PTSD yes, is? Well, see, the pretty much what you alluded to is my understanding of PTSD, and it's yeah, and and I'll be I'll be the first to say it's rudimentary at Whoa. best. But I I've always can't use those words. I've no. always <laughs> oh really? What's that mean? Uh, uh, base like base okay, level, okay. not go, yeah, go, yeah, go. yeah. So, um, my understanding is that PTSD, the the term post traumatic stress disorder, is kind of a catch all. Um, it's a label that we've used to say anytime something traumatic or um, emotional, physical, or anything happens to somebody that can't be explained uh, physiologically. This is the this is the term that we're going to put on it. 
um, and it breaks down into start uh, and it starts breaking down into, okay, well, is it a psychological condition? Is it a, uh, is it a psychophysiological condition? Is it a physiological condition? There, there's so many ways that you can, you can look at it. And I think the, the biggest problem we're out there right now is that we're using a label that we don't understand ourselves. So I don't know if that's what you yep. were what you were getting at, but I'm just trying to learn. I, believe me, I know I I don't know much. I just know from my personal experience, and I'm always asking the question because I'd like to know what others are thinking, and what they're looking at it as, what they're afraid of, what the stigma is. You know, I'm I'm just so I'm learning. So I'm not so. Yeah, my like my my personal thoughts on it are if somebody has PTSD or sometimes they're called acute stress incidents or there's, you know, pick, pick your term. It's, it's an event. And it, the, the problem is, is that there, it doesn't have to be an acute incident. It can be something that occurs over time, over, you know, a period of days, months, weeks, years. Um, but it's an emotional and physiological toll that, somebody takes on and it doesn't have to be and it can be different for everybody so for military members it could be something like seeing um being involved in an incident yourself um where you're injured or you have a fellow soldier who's injured or killed same thing with law enforcement um or fire ems right you have you know uh, a member that goes into a building doesn't come out those types of things where it, it affects everyone differently and the problem with labeling something is that it, you're saying, well, because A happened, B is the result. Um, and that's not what happens. You know, one out of one out of a million is you're going to go from A to B. And what you see most often is somebody goes from A to yellow uh, over to one and then, you know, ends up at Q. And you're like, I, I don't under, I don't understand what just happened or, or what process they went through. Yet we're all now we're labeling people all under one kind of umbrella, and it's it's not working. Due to the fact that the person doing the labeling, who's that guy to say? Well, that guy went to school and read his books for seven years, but who wrote the books? That's the question. Well, that's a question. Let's look at it this way. <clears throat> yeah, you're right. It is a label and who knows what. Okay, let me just give you an example. Three <clears throat> simple examples. And for the people out there who are probably like, Jesus, this guy doesn't stop talking. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. This, this is the most important part of this entire podcast. <clears throat> is just to have this proper understanding. And I'll, and I'll start it out with this. 100% of every humans is affected. Not this over oh, 10% of uh, first responders have people. No, every human. Let's take off the uniform. Every human is affected, and I'll tell you why. Let's give you an example. Make it really simple. <sighs> okay. <clears throat> Let me just, um, so I can summarize this and not give you the fucking 20 minute. Okay. <clears throat> There's a deer. Right? Did I mm -hmm. give you this uh, scenario last time we talked? 
No, okay. I don't think so. So this no. is this is easy for you to comprehend, and then I'll give you two simple examples afterwards. There's a deer. He's in the he's in the woods, and and I am only giving you this because I live in the mountains. I live and I study the animals. We are animals, human animals. We can call us human animals if you want. We have the same limbic brain, or uh, we have the limbic brain. Uh, it's just a step above uh, an animal. We have the emotional and the rational part. So let's just get with this. Uh, the deer, la la la, eating some grass. The mountain lion creeps up on the deer, nice and slow. Bang! Oh, lion jumps out. What? What's the deer do? Fucks off. Yeah, get fucks the fuck off. But but did the deer say you better fuck off now? It doesn't think about it. It instinctually reacts to danger. Organism must survive. Fucks off. As the deer is running, that energy that's given off for the organism to survive. Let's say the deer or us as humans, we're the 12 volt battery. That 12 volts, you just added 200 volts to that motherfucker's nervous system. And as it's running, lion's getting closer. The deer gets 20 kilometers, 30 kilometers, 70 kilometers an hour running. The energy goes from 200 volts, 500 volts, 800 volts, 1,000 volts, 70 kilometers an hour. Motherfucking, oh shit, lion's about to catch me. Last ditch effort for survival, it collapses. The autonomic nervous system says, done. Too much energy. 1,000 volts. On a on a twelve volt battery, <laughs> lion oh, grabs the fucking deer, um, um, goes to put it behind a tree. Something happens. Lion fucks off. The deer. Half hour later, kind of comes to. He didn't get eaten. He was okay. Actually, wakes up, stands up immediately. You watch the deer on the back of his neck. It starts fucking shaking like you wouldn't believe. It starts shaking all the way down its back, all the way down its shoulders, down the legs. And it shakes off that thousand volts naturally. It instinctually completes the cycle of energy that was given off upon the moment of danger. That whole thousand volts has just went down to 800, 600, 300, back to 12. And the deer, right down to his hooves. What's he do now? He bends down and starts eating some grass. Like nothing happened. Returns to the herd. Doesn't go running back going, oh my God, you guys, this fucking lion was just chasing me. And... Uh, I need a psychologist, I need some pills, I need a fucking shot of vodka, I need a line of cocaine, holy fuck. No, it's not traumatized because it completed the cycle naturally. It was supercharged and its autonomic nervous system completed the cycle. Humans aren't living instinctually any longer. We don't complete 
the cycle. That energy gets trapped in our nervous system. Let's put it this way. You don't have to be a soldier. You don't have to be a firefighter. At five years old, the five-year-old child undergoing a major tooth surgery. The dentist going in, pulling the tooth. Kid starts crying. (laughs) Well, it's okay, Johnny. We're going to have some ice cream and the tooth fairy is going to come. We get a little smoke blowing into our ass. Everything's going to be okay. And the kid's like, okay, mom. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, everything is good. It looks good on the exterior. But the nervous system doesn't say ice cream, tooth fairy, tooth. It says danger. You just pull the tooth from my mouth. As dentist is pulling tooth, the nervous system is releasing the same amount of instinctual energy to survive. The exact same as being over in Afghanistan, getting shot at, watching your bros go down, shooting at people. Johnny turns 17 years old. He's on a ladder. Oh, he falls off. Boom, breaks his leg. Off to the hospital he goes. Anesthetized. Comes back to, hey, Johnny, how was surgery? I was fine. I didn't feel anything. Nice. Good, good. But while Johnny was anesthetized, while the doctors have you cut open, re-putting your bones back, screwing them together, and sewing you up, that whole process, the nervous system isn't anesthetized. The human's mind is anesthetized. That's it. The nervous system still sees this as danger. So it's giving off 200, 400, 800, 1,000 volts. Now when Johnny comes to, all that energy that was given off while anesthetized is trapped. He lays there, takes his morphine, takes his opiates. Ah, everything's good. Goes through physiotherapy like nothing happened. He's back to walking again. But little does Johnny know that since having his tooth pulled at five, all that energy's there. After surgery, all that energy is there. He hits 17, 18, 19, starts having a drink, starts doing some drugs. And little does he know these emotions that he hasn't been able to cope with since having the tooth pulled. Because he doesn't understand because we're all just kind of getting along. We don't see the wood through the trees anymore. Goes through your depressions, your anxieties, your stress, your sleepless nights. But we just blame it on us and it's human. And, ah, it's just me. It's just my problems. Nobody would understand them. Everybody else must have them. Or they must just be only mine. That energy that's trapped in our nervous system is what causes the flashbacks. The emotions, the, 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 the pain, the anger, the sadness, the depression, the suicidal thoughts, the fucking... Uh, but guess what we do? We go buy some beer. We get the free porn. We have our Starbucks coffee. We got our Netflix. We've got all these things to distract us from these emotions that don't allow us to comprehend what's actually going on within the nervous system. The surgeons aren't telling us. The, du- the dentists aren't telling us. The surgeon... Uh, Let me just back up for a second. I went to a dentist, a very, very well-renowned dentist in in town. And I shared with him, 
Why, what would you think about giving a brochure to the parent on every child that you pull their tooth and let them know the effect that you're having on their nervous system and then how important it is to begin to do some breathing exercises every day to manage the emotions that are going to come from that energy that's given off and that's trapped. That dentist looked at me like I was crazy. He said, I've never heard of anything like that. I said, oh, okay. Then I went and saw my surgeon a couple times, a couple different surgeons. And I said, all these people that come to the hospital to get fixed after their car accidents, their broken legs, it's just regular people, not soldiers, not first, just regular humans. While they're laying there for a week, recovering from surgery on all the opiates that you're giving them, why can't you also give them a brochure that says the effect that you just had on their nervous system and the energy that's given off, and these are the things you're going to need to do to manage it because you're not going to be cured or ever walk away from it because biologically and instinctually we're not completing the cycle, so it's going to be sticking with you for the rest of your life. They all looked at me and they started talking this federal government talk, all this ah, blah, blah talk and all the blah, 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 and I was like, these are where the problems are stemming from our dentists and our surgeons and the people who are supposed to be educating us properly, they don't have the proper education and knowledge to be even sharing it with the people. They got a job to do. So do you think that when you become a soldier and you become a cop and you become a firefighter, anybody's going to tell you any of this shit? (laughs) Uh Uh-uh. That's bad for business. And that's unacceptable. Because if you look at our suicide rate and you look at our homeless rate and our addiction rate and you take a look at what our society and our communities are doing in the city, don't tell me that it it might look good, but get into the, into the minds and the hearts and the emotions of the people. When you sit down at AA meetings or groups or, or people, they'll tell you all going through the same shit we all have our story but we don't have the knowledge and understanding of what's going on and if we did things would make a little more sense and if we also had the tools to manage these emotions we could live a lot healthier happier lives together it's just having that knowledge of why we feel these things makes a lot of sense man it's it's crazy the when you when you think about all the different things that we're told and you know from you know that's exactly it everybody trusts the doctor because they're the doctor right you got you know you have those credentials everyone's going to listen to you whether or not you know what you're talking about or not (laughs) the the title gives you the authority um and uh as a society we never really second guess that and uh you've brought up a good point that maybe we should be. Um, so before we go too far into anything else, um, and uh, I want to, before we go here, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what are some things um, if, if I'm right now, if I'm a, an officer, a first responder, military member, anybody, human being listening to this podcast right now. And I don't have the ability to come up to BC to come to camp with you. Um, what are some things that I can do at home or at work by myself to kind of deal with the stress, deal with some, some of these thoughts and this anxiety and, and that kind of stuff. What are some, what are some tools or tips that you would give some of these guys? Great, and girls? great, great question. Um, 
very easy, simple, natural, and free that not only the human, the man or the woman can use, but most importantly, with their children at home before they even leave the freaking house every single day. We can't rely on the insurance company, the fire department, the, the government, the policies, the procedures, the surgeons. Forget about them. They have their jobs to do. Take care of yourself first. By yourself, with your family. Self-care, number one. Here we go. This is how I suggest and what I do every day. And, and I'm nobody special. It just works for me. Got my story, got my experience. Here we are, and it seems to be working because we're four years later. We're flipping tires, we're changing laws, and we're, we're bringing some reality and truth to 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 our to our people. And it's this simple. Uh, you know, hold on a second because my uh, battery on my computer is going to die. I gotta just hit the pause button if you can. Sure. Yeah. I gotta go, go grab my uh, charger and drag it out here because you were getting feedback when I was in the house. Yeah. Yeah. So stand yeah. by. Sure. You're there. Boom. I really apologize. You know, I, I'm looking at the time, holy two hours. You know, I, I hope this is making sense. It is. Yeah. And don't worry. Like, and I'm going to be able to, uh, to condense and and edit it down too. So we'll, uh, any of the, uh, kind of middle ground stuff, you don't have to worry about it. So it's not going to be a two hour podcast. Yeah, no, it's, and, and who knows, you know, some people, want to hear it on their way to work every day on their way home that's whatever they do i've yeah. never listened to podcasts before um so i don't know all i know is sometimes you know when you just know too much you know the answer and nobody's listening you just you know how many people are suffering hurting uh, struggling and there's such uh i don't have i wish i could have the like the two minute you know oh yeah it drives me crazy i don't but it's like, why aren't you fucking listening to me? Oh, <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's like sometimes I often also think that people can read between the lines. So I used to like, oh, I'd summarize it like this. And then it's like, man, that's only hoping they read between the lines. So when I get into deep, like the, the five-year-old child, you got to you, see this is the read between the lines part. When I was five and the fire happened. Same thing. You understand? Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. and, and, and if you look at human anatomy and how we've been designed, humans weren't designed to have dentists pulling our teeth. Uh, uh, if you broke a deer's leg, it's, gonna, it's going to... This is dangerous. You aren't going to survive with a broken leg. So it does everything it can to survive. So we have to 
adapt that to humans also because we have the same uh, anatomy or, 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 or structure, except the trouble is we've been given emotion. Here, go ahead, hit, hit play for a second. Yeah, you're okay. good. So just one more quick example. Sorry, sorry, Adam. No, I should cool. say example, but um, something. It's not that I just watched the deer and how this example that I gave you. I've lived that experience. I fought a forest fire up here for like twenty-two days <clears throat> once, uh, back years ago. And when I got back home, fire was under control. Everything is good. I got back to Whistler, and my bro had called and he's like, "Hey, you want to come play some hockey?" Fuck yeah, love to play some hockey. Love to be in a nice, cool rink right now. I've been fighting this force. Oh, so I grabbed my hockey equipment. I got halfway to the driveway and I collapsed and I started shaking so uncontrollable that I've had to put my forearm in my mouth to stop my teeth from shattering. My angel comes out. Are you okay? Call an ambulance. I think I'm dying. I went through this, this convulsion she dragged me, had to drag me into the house under the blankets, trying to warm myself up. I had these chills that shit. I could I didn't know if I was having a seizure. Ambulance comes, paramedics come in, they wrap me up in blankets and they shoot me full of bunch of I don't even know what they gave me. They get me to the rush me to the hospital. They do all these tests. So what what happened to me? Well, they said they're going, you're dehydrated from fighting their fire for 21 days. I said, wow, that's powerful. That's a lot of water I didn't drink. And I believed them. Mm-hmm. But now that I know better about how it all works, because I was in fight or flight this entire time fighting the fire, I'm not able, I'm not ready. My body isn't instinctually ready to complete that cycle. So when I got home to where it was safe, that thousand volts, it's time to shake it off. And instinctually, I shook it off. I almost finished shaking it off. The trouble is, when the ambulance got there, they blanketed me up and shot me with whatever. They stopped the cycle, therefore trapping the energy in my nervous system. They did more damage than they even knew they were doing. If the paramedics had this knowledge and could show up to watch a man doing this after getting his vitals and information story of what's happened, ah, stand back, let him shake this off. This is a natural phenomenon. They used to call it, he was shaking in his boots, he was so scared in World War II, whatever, right? Shell shock. Uh-uh, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. All those men that were judged for having shell shock, no, they were instinctually completing the cycle. He was so scared he was shaking in his boots. No, he wasn't scared. That was the autonomic nervous system completing the cycle of energy. It's too much in uh, a 12-volt battery, right? And here it is all these years we've been blaming all these other things, but we're not given the truth. You know, that's that's a super powerful message, man. Um, And I'm super glad that we had a chance to, to share that with everyone. Cause I think that's an important message to, to put out there. Um, so what we should do though, is before, uh, before I let you go, cool. I'm thinking, I'm thinking we're gonna, we're definitely going to have to, uh, 
set some time again in maybe a couple months or whatever um and uh, and revisit and and go over some more things because i can tell just in talk you're the you're the same way that i am man it's just once you once you get me on on something that i'm passionate about i could literally go for go for days there's there's no, there's no, there's no. what is your passion adam <laughs> Oh God. Um, I love talking about, I love talking about training. So whether it be uh, defensive tactics, training, martial arts, those types of things. Um, it's, it, I just, I love talking about educate, like educating people and, and how to do it um, effectively and what we've learned and where we're the past and where we, we can take things in the future and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so, nice. um, which is the whole, the whole purpose for this, the podcast too. Right. Um, if, if somebody wants to get a hold of Terrence, where is the best way for them to reach you? Before we get there, I'm sorry. I have to share the most important part on this podcast, brother, which is the tools. Sure. Yeah, we were going we to gonna get there. I just want to make sure oh, that we, we hit all the, okay. the checks. But yeah, go. go no, no, go. <laughs> uh, don't give, give, us, don't call, give us the Don't tools. call me. Don't email me because I can't ha- I get too many emails. I can't. Only one guy trying to wear too many ads. I'm not able to return them. I got four thousand more. I got. I got a good. I got a good solution for you on that one okay, too. Help um, me, we'll, please. So okay, so you have staff the that you can send me uh, some yeah, secretary. I, I, I got. I got a wife. She'll, she'll take okay. care. Of well, um, I, I need. I got. Staff. What are some? Um, what are some tools that people can use in their everyday lives? That is something that they can do at home for free. Start out. Okay. Let's do this together right now because it's the best way for me to explain it without getting off on some tangent. Let's just do this together. Are you comfortable? You betcha. Yep. Okay. I'm going to, if you could see me right now, I'm actually doing what I do in all of our presentations because this is the most important part of any presentation or anything is the tools. So I'm laying in bed. Just woke up. Oh, what'd you do this morning when you woke up, Adam? Um, I think I went into a defensive mode because I had my two-year-old jumping on my face. I, ouch, okay, yeah, that makes me challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of traumatic incidents, yeah. But that's going to happen. And at this point, grab child, lay down, and you're going to do a pre-flight checklist body scan with child in your hands jumping around whatever it is do you know when um you've been to the airport and and before the plane leaves the gate what's the captain doing yeah right pre-flight he's checking his horn vertical stabilizers tire pressure gauges switches why safety uh absolutely so that this plane makes it from this gate to the next gate, because I'm responsible for all these people every single time he has to do this. So guess what? You're the captain and you're the plane. So start out by controlling the physical. You're going to tell your toes to wiggle. Okay. Like, seriously, I know this seems corny, but when was the last time you actually told your toes to wiggle? Never. Oh, well, there they are. I acknowledge them, and I am in control of them. Rolling your left ankle. Feel it. That's my ankle, and I'm in control of it. My right ankle. Okay, that's my right ankle. Flex your left calf. 
yeah, flex the right one. This is my body scan. This is my pre-flight checklist. I'm checking every inch of myself. Left knee, bend it. Okay, that's my left knee. My right knee, bend. Ah, fuck. I bent my right knee and I find a problem. I find pain. Why? Well, yesterday I bumped, I dropped my chainsaw and I bumped into the corner of the picnic table. Uh, that's why. Do I need a hospital, a doctor, or an ambulance right now? No, I'm okay. You've explained, you found the problem, you've explained it, everything's okay. Flexing your quads. Right quad's good. Oh, left quad's good. Yep, a little bit sore, a little bit tight. Yep. Get to your pelvis. Roll it. Kids jumping around and ask kids to try this too. Okay, roll. This is your pelvis. This is good. Tighten your core. Abs. Oh, yep. Core's good. Bounce your pecs or pretend to. Okay, yep. <laughs> but you're in control of the physical. This is the most important part is control. Rolling your shoulders. Yeah, oh yeah, sore, but that's okay. They're there. Bending your left elbow, bending your right elbow. Everything is good. Rolling your wrists, holding your hands up. One, two, three, four, five. I see my fingers. I've told them to open. One, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All ten are there. Everything's good. I'm okay. The physical, every inch of my body has been checked. I'm okay. Now bear with me because this will make a lot more sense at the end of this. Now we get to the mind. Oh, enemy number one. Oh, what's humanity's number one addiction, Adam, that nobody's talking about but is just completely sinking our people? The need for attention? Yes, that's an addiction. That's definitely an addiction, absolutely. Alcohol? Drugs, porn, gambling, no, it's thinking. We're so addicted to thinking, one thought grabs the next and takes, so let's control that because that's the trouble. We get depressed, we get anxious, we start telling ourselves the same story, this happened, I got shot at, I was a gangster, I was a, we're thinking. So we got to control that. So how do we do that? You remember? Are you there? Hey, sorry. Had the mic clicked off there. Go ahead. Thinking. How do we control it? Do you remember the first tool I used flipping that tire? Mm-hmm. What is it? Breathing. Five seconds breath in your nose. Five seconds breath out. Five times. So we'll do that together here real quick and bear with me. Don't worry. Wait for it. So let's do it together. Five seconds breath in. You ready? And let's go. One, two, three, four, five. Five seconds breath out. Three, two, one. Five seconds in. Five seconds. You know what? I don't have time for this. 
fuck this shit. I got a fucking meeting today. My kid don't stop screaming. I got a fucking, my wife's cheating on me. Uh, at that moment, we're getting into our breaths. The mind starts to say, I don't have time. I got to go. Uh, and we always give up. We say, fuck this shit. I'm breathing. I, I breathe 25,000 breaths a day anyways. Why would I want to do this, Terrence, and the stupid breaths? And we go. Mm-hmm. We say, yeah, fuck it. I'm too busy. I got too much other. I got to check my Facebook likes. I got my fucking moving out today. I get a promotion. I got a presentation. At that moment, the fuck off. The most important thing is me right now. Nothing else. Not the wife, not the kid. It's me first. So start your breaths over again. Five seconds breath in, five seconds breath out, five times. And use your fingers to count so you stay focused. If you get to your second or your third or your fourth set of breaths and you're like, okay, I'm almost done. So now I can go ahead and uh, get on with my... Start over again. And start over again. Until you can just do your five seconds in, five seconds out, five times with just focusing on your breath. With no other distractions. And it's let me tell you, four years later, even today, I had to do it six times this morning. Now, I've been doing this twice a day for four years. So don't go thinking it's going to come easy. <laughs> or it's all of a sudden the cure-all end-all. And I'll tell you why this is the most important part. Because you haven't even got out of bed. And now you have just set the pace for your day. By controlling the physical and the mind. You've prepared yourself for battle. You're safe and you're in control. Before your feet even touch the ground. You are repaving the neurological pathways to where it is safe and where you are in control. So you get about your day. Okay, breakfast. I'm pretty good. I'm running a little bit late. So I better just drive a little faster to work right now because I sat there and did those damn breaths. And now you're stuck in rush hour traffic. Motherfucker. Damn it. Ah, Damn, I'm so late. My boss is going to kill me. You know that feeling, right? Where you're like, everybody, I think everybody knows that feeling. Okay, yeah. that feeling, like, oh shit, like fuck, I'm, I'm, I'm sad, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm. Just... Well, guess what? At that moment, pull the car over. Your boss is pissing you off. Leave the office. Go sit down. If you're a student, leave the classroom and go in the hallway. Go and sit down. The second you feel that negative emotion. Sit down and find the fucking problem. Okay. Body scan. Wiggle toes. Rolling ankles. Calves. Okay, my right knee still sore. Pelvis quad. So much shit over my fingers. Well, it's not the physical. So that's not where the problem is. Breaths. (sighs) Fuck, I'm late for work. I can't even take a five-second breath. (laughs) Problem number one. Okay. I got my five-second breath, but man, rush hour traffic. People are honking. I got to get to work. Stay there. Five seconds breath in, five seconds breath out, five times. Do not leave. Back into traffic. Do not go back into the classroom. Do not go back to work until you've managed your mind. Till you are it, back in control. 
I absolutely love that. I think that's something that we don't we don't share enough of is you have to control yourself first before you can even start about thinking about controlling other people, right? So problem is we're not gonna do we're not gonna pull the car over, man. We're not gonna just get no. up out the damn fucking classroom because you just don't do that unless you practice every single morning before you get out of bed. It has to it can't be a what am I supposed to do now? Oh, I better pull over. It has to be a natural, automatic, instinctual response to where it's safe. And that takes years of work. That's the work you have to do. And if you're not willing to put in fucking six minutes every morning and six minutes before bed, and you got a problem during the day, and you're going to start pointing your fingers at everybody else, well, that's where the problem is, bud. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You, you, to, to be accountable and responsible for yourself because nobody else is going to be. Those insurance companies, departments, your brothers at the fight, they're not they're going to be there to talk to. But when it comes to the physical, emotional, behavioral, guess what, buddy? It's up to you. Put in the time. It's like this. A quick example. You're a trainer, right? Hey, oh, hey, man. Hey, Adam, I want to look like you, man. I want to go to the gym and be strong like you. Adam takes me to the gym every single day. Oh, I put it, I got my little Lululemon outfit. I got my sneakers. I got my membership. I got my towel, my water bottle. I'm so cool. I showed up. I did my push-ups. I pushed myself. And a month later, I put in my time. I got the outfit. I worked hard. I showed up every day. Adam's proud of me. And I'm looking in the mirror. But I don't look like Adam. And right there, 90% of people quit. Because they're putting in all this fucking time and effort, but they're not getting anything out. They don't look like Adam yet. (laughs) So we walk away. We give up. (laughs) How many years does it take to look like Adam today? It's the same with the breathing exercise and the body scan. You're not going to know the benefit to this until you do this every single day. And six months, one year, two years, three years later, when you get in a car crash and your family dies, or you see something that you didn't need to see, or you're a part of a very traumatic event at that moment, when shit really fucking hits the fan, at that moment, it shouldn't be, Jesus, what I should do. It should be an automatic response to sit down, wiggle my toes, stay grounded, check my body. Okay, I'm fine. Breathe. It's the same as any MMA fighter. Second round, what's coach saying? Breathe. You show up on scene to emergency. There's somebody panicking. What do you do? Breathe. All right. Well, that's free. That's natural. Put in the put in the work. Thing is, you're not going to see you're not going to see the results until shit hits the fan. I think I, you're 100 percent on that. That's fantastic. I'll shut up. Um, I think. <laughs> No, no, it's all good. No, it's all good. Um, so, so yeah, I think I think that's a fantastic place where we can kind of to leave that thought there. Uh, I think that's I think that's a super important message that everybody needed to hear. So I wanted to let you get all that out, and I'm super thankful that we had the time today. Um, and actually, we spent a lot longer than we intended. Um, and uh, I really, really appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, where where can 
we have you have your website, Camp My Way. We have um, absolutely, brother. Thank you. Camp CampMyWay.com. It's not weak to speak.com. Uh, Breaking the Chains BC. You can join us on social media, Instagram. Uh, let me tell you something. I do answer every email. I do answer every call. Uh, so if somebody out there is wanting somebody to talk with, laugh with, even sit back and shed a tear with, I am here for you. Just shoot me a message. Email is the best way to get hold of me. Terrence, T-E-R-R-A-N-C-E, at Camp mywaycom All of our social media connections are on that website there. I just want to say thank you, Adam, for this opportunity and uh, let the people know also, hey, four years in, I still don't have a penny to my name. I'm not charging nobody for nothing. If you need the help, I'm here for you because I understand. You're one hell of a guy and uh, that's, that's the reason why I wanted you on here. There's not a, in my experience, there's not a lot of people that are willing to put themselves out there like you do and uh, definitely thank you for that. All the uh, all the links, all the social media, websites, everything that's going to be on the show notes page, on our pages, we'll link everything back to you. Um, and if anybody has any questions or comments, um, if you can't get a hold of Terrence, make sure to get a hold of uh, get a hold of us at the Tactical Breakdown, and we'll put you in contact with him so that you can get talking. Um, so we'll leave it at that, my man. Um, I'm going to let you get back. I've I've heard the birds chirping in the background. Um, <laughs> Um, so uh, I'm going to let you get back to uh, peace and serenity. I'm going to get back to the uh, five along the fire. That is my children. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk about getting up there. And uh, I'm going to come up and uh, we'll do some camping. I love you, brother. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Terrence. Um, as always, if you want to get a hold of Terrence, check out CampMyWay.com. That's CampMyWay.com. If you're able to and would like to support their cause and help the first responders and veterans that attend their camp, you can donate right on their webpage. So for those of you listening, thank you again so much. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you check out the breakdown.ca, you can subscribe to our newsletter. And what we're going to do is just shoot you out emails every time a new episode drops. I'm really looking forward to bringing you the next episodes here on the Tactical Breakdown Podcast. Make sure to stay tuned and stay safe.